0: We greet you in the name of our risen Lord and Savior. It's a blessing to be here this morning. We count this a wonderful privilege to uh, be here and to uh, preach and also to share on the work of AMA. Now it's my understanding that The congregation here is also facing some decisions and vision and purpose in establishing an outreach. And I want to bless that effort and labor as well. Maybe just a little bit of a, uh, to tell you who I am. For some of you, you know my Freundschaft, I'm sure. I grew up in, in this community in Honeybrook until uh, I got married, so it's always a, a uh, it's kind of like driving these roads in this community and, and seeing different places, uh, it's, it's kind of like coming home in a sense, and yet uh, uh, I'm, I'm very pleased and, and happy where I am in Ohio. Our family has served uh, under AMA f- in Kenya from 2007 to 2012. And after our return in, in 2012, uh, we have reintegrated to our home in, in Ohio. And in 2013, I was elected on the AMA board, been serving on that board ever since. So I'm glad to, to be here this morning and to represent uh, that mission as well. I also recognize that among this congregation, there has been a lot of support that was given over the years. There was a lot of uh, um, uh, even by way of financial support, personnel in various places. And I, uh, I thought about just simply naming those, but f- for fear of missing somebody, I, I think I'll keep it a little more general. But we have and do appreciate that support in those various ways. As was already mentioned that this is a little of a special service, and, uh, maybe a little bit out of the ordinary for the congregation here. And we uh, in, have interest in your prayers as we uh, present this uh, time here this morning and this evening, maybe just to put a little bit of uh, thought into the plan uh, this morning, I'm going to be preaching the title that, uh, that I have here is Vision, Purpose, Communication to Missions. This evening, I would like to give a bit of a history of AMA, uh, a slide presentation, and then also some of the uh, new developments and vision of the work. Part of the interest that I have, or that we have here this weekend, is also to plant seeds and to bring inspiration, vision, and purpose. You know, as we look at, at, at the work of the church, as we look at, at missions and we look at kingdom work, God has chosen man, humanity, to fill these spots. And if we want the kingdom of God to be enlarged and we want it to to spread out, who's going to do it? God has placed the call upon our lives to to move forward the work of the kingdom. The scripture that was read this morning by Brother Mel was requested by me. And I I want to look at this portion of scripture along with some others, as we think about mission work, and as we think of our responsibility and God's call upon our lives to spread the gospel. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah 43. I'm not going to read this, these verses again, but I'm going to make reference to them Verse 10 in particular notes three things that I want to highlight as we think about our call. The Lord has appointed his people to be his special witnesses and servants. And if you look at the beginning of this chapter. First of all, in verse 1, he says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. We could also look at other scriptures in Isaiah. One place, I think it's in chapter 49, where he says that I have written your name upon the palm of my hand. Now, doesn't that feel special to realize that God has a special place? He has chosen us to be his witness. Now, we jump down to verse 10, and it says, he reaffirms, and he says, ye are are my witnesses. The first thing I want to highlight here is that his people might know him. God has chosen, he has called us by our name, he has written his name, our names upon the palms of his hand, And he says, I have redeemed thee. And now he says, ye are my witnesses. For what reason? The first one I want to highlight here is that his people might know him. Know him personally. Know him intimately as they walk through life. We are called to be that people that the world and those that we associate with, that they can know him. They can know God and who he is. That we point people to God. If I would put the word God on the board, you don't have a board here, but if I would, if I would in bold letters, Put the word God here immediately your minds will go to God but what do you think of God I've run this test different times in in different settings and I found it very interesting what comes forward when you think about God and if I would ask you this morning what do you think about God There would be a variety of thoughts that come but our mission here is to to point people to know God who is he what do you think of Romans 11 verse 22 says behold therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity but toward thee goodness if thou continue in his goodness so God is not only a God of mercy, he's not only a God of forgiveness and a God of love, which are many things that come forward, but God is also a God of justice, and he's a God of, of judgment, and he's a God of, that hates sin, and he's going to judge sin. What is your view of God? And somehow we are called to go out there and present God to the people that they might know him. Not only the goodness of God, but also the severity of God. That is what brings us to know God. So we are called to know him. Secondly, it says that his people might believe him and trust all to him. Believe every word that proceeds out of his mouth and stand upon the promises of God. How can we help an unbeliever to believe in God? Have you ever thought about that? How can you help an unbeliever to come to, the rec- to believe who God is? I think there's many ways that can happen, but I believe that our life and our example, sometimes we are the only Bible that people read. And what does your life look like? We are to present God, help people to know who he is, and then we are also to help them to believe who God is. We're going to have a very difficult time in our outreach or in our vision and in our purpose for missions if we are not going to live a life that are going to cause people to point them to God, to believe in him. By our life, an example, by our testimony. Thirdly here is that his people might understand him. That people can grasp, can comprehend, can appreciate, can esteem, and value him for who, for who he is, and that people can understand his love, his goodness, his mercy. That people can understand his justice, his judgment, his sovereignty. That people can understand that he already sees and knows everything about us. God could have, or God could write across the sky his will for man. So that everyone would know exactly what to do. Why, did, why doesn't God just write across the sky and he says, Repent, for judgment is coming. Why didn't he just write across the sky that God loves us or he points us to Jesus as the Savior? But no, he chose humanity, you and I, to be that witness and to take that message forward so that others can see Christ. And our life needs to exemplify who God is. God has chosen his redeemed people to be that witness, to be that avenue, to be that channel so that the world can see who God is. That people may know him, People may believe him, and people can understand him. Very, very important concepts and a call that he has placed upon our lives. God could use, and sometimes does, use supernatural ways to get the attention of men, like the handwriting on the wall, or send an angel every time to deliver his message, or he Or there's other ways. Why doesn't God just drop a tract out of the sky in our path as we walk that would declare his will as we wrestle and struggle with knowing God's will at times? Why doesn't God just use an animal like the donkey or some other animal? Or why doesn't he allow the stones to cry out and to give his message, so that we can know what he wants, but no, God has chosen the redeemed to be his witness, to be his avenue, to be his voice, that people can know and believe and understand who he is. This work is not our work, but God's. He uses people to to fulfill the spreading of the word, to sowing the seed, to make disciples, to proclaim truth, to teach, to warn, to show love, to exercise patience, to rebuke, to keep his church in a good way, so that there is a spotless bride without blame in all cultures of the world. Hallelujah. We are that messenger. We are that witness. He has called us to be that. Now I invite your attention to Acts chapter 11. From verses 19 through 30, this is a very profound account, and, it's, and in fact this is the the. the, the the account that makes reference that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. It says, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus, and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great multitude believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church, and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. As far as I'm going to read now. Verse 19. I'd like to give a little background of the story of the account that led up to this verse. In chapter 7, it talks about Stephen's death. Chapter 8, it talks about Saul consenting unto his death. And in verse 3, it says that Saul made havoc of the church, entering into houses and hailing people and women committed them to prison, and so he, heavenly, he was heavenly, heavily involved in bringing persecution to the church, and the people scattered. In chapter nine, Saul became converted, and he gave his heart to the Lord. That light shone upon him, smote him down, caused blindness. And somebody had to lead him back into Damascus. And then in verse 10, it says that Ananias obeyed the call of God to go and pray over Saul. Saul received his sight and was baptized and stayed there certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. In verse 20, it says that he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is He is the son of God, that Jesus is the son of God. In verse 22, it says that Saul increased the more in strength. Verse 22, the Jews took counsel to slay him. And when the brothers heard about that, they brought him to Caesarea and they sent him to Tarshish, which was, no, I'm sorry, I'm a little ahead of the story there. Saul increased the more in strength. The Jews took counsel to kill him. The disciples heard about that and they led him down by the wall in a basket. Saul went to Jerusalem to join himself with the disciples there. Well, when he came there to Jerusalem, the disciples had a lot of question and trepidation and fear about this Saul because he was the one who persecuted the church he caused a scattering among the disciples and the people, and they weren't that ready to receive him back. They had a lot of question and fear that came into their hearts when this Saul, who Saul is, and when he came back. But there was one man among them, his name was Barnabas. And he intervened and he brought came to the apostles and he said, This man was converted. God changed him, and he has a message, and he supports Jesus and the work of the cross. And he disputed with the Grecians there, and finally it became to the point that it wasn't safe for Saul to be there, and so they sent him home to Tarsus, to his homeland. So Saul went to Tarsus, and this is where chapter 11 and the portion that I read here this morning, come into focus. And it says there that the Christians at Jerusalem, they were hearing about all the things that was happening in Antioch. There was a work happening in Antioch. There was people who were saved and there were people who were embracing truth and doctrine. And the Jerusalem church heard about these things And they said, what are we going to do about this need in Antioch? They need a shepherd. They need direction. They need help. And so they conferred among themselves, and they decided, you know what? We're going to send Barnabas. Now remember, Barnabas was the man who took interest in Saul. He spoke for him. He intervened for him there. But he had a heart. He had a heart for Saul. And so now Barnabas was chosen to go to Antioch to be that witness. He was was sent by by the church. He was commissioned by the church to go to Antioch. And so Barnabas went to Antioch. And when he got there, he started preaching and teaching. And there was a work happening, and it was an exciting work. There was people who were added to the church. There was people who were being converted. And finally, Barnabas thought, you know what, I need help in this work. What am I going to do? And he thought of Saul. Saul was in Tarsus, his homeland. And so Barnabas went and sought out Saul. And he brought him back to Antioch. And there, they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now this portion of scripture gives such a good picture of what outreach, what mission life looks like. And I have just appreciated the things and vision and purpose and communication that was happening here. This is really the core of what I want to say here this morning, and the little bit of time that I have left, I want to just focus on the vision, the purpose, and the communication that is so vital as we consider mission work or outreach work and how these things link together. First of all, we look at vision. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. This is a beautiful picture of the church's involvement in a mission endeavor. The church was involved. They saw the vision. They saw the, 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 the need, and they submitted themselves to this need, and they chose from among them somebody to fill that need. Isn't that beautiful? Secondly, they saw the purpose, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. So they had the vision. They saw the need. And they realized the purpose. The purpose was to present the gospel. And it was to bring others to truth, to disciple, and to make a way for humanity, for these people to know Christ. That they might know him, that they might believe in him, and that they might understand him. That was the entire purpose, or, or, or by and large, the, the reason and the purpose for this work. Lastly, there was communication. I'm going to read from verse 27 to the end. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus. And signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So there was a communication between the mission and the home church. And in this case, it appears like the home church was the one that was finding themselves in need. But the mission there then assisted to them, but there was communication between these two functions or organizations. It says, which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Look at the structure that was put in place in this mission organization. There was an awareness of the need and leadership took initiative and something happened. What a beautiful example. I wanna bless and challenge the congregation here with this example as you look into outreach and mission purposes and endeavors. The objective of this message is to plant seeds of vision, purpose, and communication, both in the hearts of the home church as well as in the heart of those who send out, who are sent into the mission field. George Robison speaks from experience. He's a professor of the missions and evangelism at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He mentioned, and I quote, the local church is central to God's global mission. He said, it is dangerous when missionaries are sent to the ends of the earth without remaining vitally connected to the life of, sending, of their sending church. Secondly, the role of the sent one is critical in reporting back to his sending church. Thirdly, just as vital, though, is the responsibility of the sending church in supporting its sent ones. Richardson highlights the need of the sending church is continued shepherding and spiritual oversight of their missionaries after they have been sent to provide ongoing counsel and encouragement and exhortation. There must be a reciprocal relationship between local churches and their missionaries. Robinson said, how churches go about reaching the na- nation's needs to be firmly rooted in God's word. We see in the scripture examples of what he, Jesus, has already blessed. We should do those things, he said, and when we act in accordance with what he has revealed there, pray, evangelize, make disciples, gather together for worship, develop leaders, and multiply churches. We can expect him to do what he alone is capable of saving and empowering. End of statements. In conclusion, I want to take Acts 11, verses 22 to 26, and paraphrase that. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Pequay. And they sent forth a believer that he should go as far as the outreach or mission. Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed the believer to the outreach for to seek other believers. And when he found them, they brought him unto the outreach And it came to pass that they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the people were called Christians at that mission. May the Lord bless.
1: Well, good morning. It's good to be here. Um, this has brought lots of memories and some flashbacks. Um, when I was a boy, we used to come right over here to visit Jonathan and Barbara and their family. And um, it was a lot of childhood memories are connected to being here. and. So here we are, 40-some years later, and I, I'm seeing people that I, I didn't know I would see here, um, and it's just, just good to be here. Um, the assignment this morning that I have been given is relating to the call, um, and, and how to respond to that. We served at, at um, in Kenya for six and a half years. We went there in late 2002. And interestingly enough, we went there to replace Lloyd and Beth Byler, who are here with us this morning. And um, when we left, John and Barbara Glick came to replace us, so I thought that was kind of neat that they could be here. Um, Building on what Brother Jonas shared in how to relate to the call, I think it is important that we as Christians have a mindset that we have a responsibility before God to be more than just Christians that are obedient to, to Him, but p- part of the package is that we are to pass on what we have been given. Um, if we go to, to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, in verses 13 and 14, it makes it pretty clear there. And these, is, these are Jesus' own words. Um, I'm just going to read the first part of the sentence there. In verse 13, it says, Ye are the salt of the earth. That's us. We are the salt of the earth. Um, and then he goes on to expound about what salt is and how that if it's, if it's not flavorful, it's not worth much. But then the next verse, it says, Ye are the light of the world. And so we are to be salt and we are to be light. That is part of the package of being a faithful Christian. Um, And as we think about that, what does that mean in a practical sense? How do we be salt and light? Well, it looks pretty different from one individual to the next. There are a lot of different ways that we can be salt and that we can be light. it might not necessarily mean that you are that you go overseas to a foreign mission, but it might um, it might mean that you have a connection with your neighbor who is maybe seeking um, it might mean that you are a teacher who is Influencing young people to live a godly life. Um, there are just a host of ways that you can be salt and light. Um, and there's, there's a one very important area that I, I suspect we sometimes forget about. Um, I have a friend, Leroy Beachy, who lives in Holmes County. He's the historian that some of you know about. Um, he has a way of zeroing in on uh, some very important details that we can sometimes forget. And that is, he was talking about um, our Amish friends, and he pointed out that the Amish population doubles every 20 years. And that is actually a phenomenal growth rate. Um, Every 20 years, they double in size. And along with that, he pointed out that the Mennonite community, they are actually shrinking in size, numbers. The Mennonite community is shrinking in numbers. Um, I'm not sure where he got his data, but... I guess I'm under the impression that that is accurate. And he pointed out that in spite of the fact that Mennonites are mission-minded and the Amish are not, their numbers are growing exponentially and the Mennonite numbers are shrinking in spite of worldwide missions and that kind of thing. And, and, And his point was that when we when when our families are getting lost to the world we are losing out in our influence and I thought that was worth noting that that is a just a, a very something for us to keep in mind that our families and and being uh, having a good solid family and raising our children for the Lord is actually uh, a basis for missions. If we are losing out with our families, um, we will not be effective as missionaries and as being salt and light. What do we do or how do we relate to this call to be salt and light? Um, I was blessed by Isaiah Um, in, in chapter 6, verse 8 of Isaiah. Um, there was a need that needed to be filled, and Isaiah responded to that. In fact, he said when when he heard the voice of the Lord, his response was, "Here am I, send me." And that I think should be the attitude that we have i I think as i'm as I'm thinking about the, the response to the call, I see it more as a, a mindset that we should be having than, as, than a specific response to the call. Now, that, that probably happens sometimes, that we get a specific call, uh, a specific request. And, and that's okay, but I think we as God's people need to have a mindset of being willing to serve, wherever that might be. Um, we we talk about the Great Commission, Acts chapter one verse eight. It says there, but ye shall rec- you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These are our marching orders. Um, we have we have been given this instruction. By Jesus, if I look at the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter eleven, those people were doers. Um, they were people that that sensed God's call, and some of them it was very specific. God actually spoke to them um, and and they but they did something. they were people that that had a mindset to, to do something with their lives, and, and there was willingness there. That's a, that's a very important aspect of um, hearing God's call. By the way, hearing is an interesting thing. Hearing the call, um, just last evening, I was engrossed in something, and my wife was, was saying something and I was actually, she was not speaking directly to me, but after she kind of finished speaking, I was trying to think, well, what did she say? And I realized that I had heard, I had heard it, but I didn't know what she said. And that is, that is something for us to think about, is hearing well. Um, when, when God is speaking, do we hear? It's pretty easy for us to miss it when God is actually speaking to us. Uh, let's, that's, a, that's a very important part of hearing. The call is, is when God is speaking that we actually hear it. Um, as I think back over the the history of our people, if we want to refer to our people as uh, conservative Anabaptists, or maybe even more specifically as the beachy uh, constituency. I think back to an exciting time, probably um, if, if I would think back uh, to, to this time, I'm thinking back maybe 60 years ago, um, before I was born. Um, there seems to have been a an awakening or a a desire for people to actually do what the Bible is saying, um, live lives that are godly and and follow what the Word is saying, and and so people, um, I, I think there was an awakening there, and. Out of that awakening, there were men that felt the need for us to branch out and to be salt and light in maybe more ways than just just living our lives in, in, in our communities. And There were some exciting things that came out of that. Some of our mission organizations were birthed during that time. I'm not exactly sure when AMA was started. Do you know, Jonas? Uh, 1955. So, um, yeah, during that time. There were, there were men that had a vision, and I think it was born out of a sense of responsibility that we, we be salt and light. And um, M.I.C., there were, there were um, some of the VS units were born out of that time. In fact, I find the story of Faith Mission Home where we are currently serving at as very, just, a, just an inspiring story. And I wonder if we would have that kind of um, grit today to, to do something like that. Uh, Sanford Yoder was a young man in his 20s, and he had moved, I think it was from Stuart, Strath, Virginia, back to that area there where Faith Mission Home is now, and he was, he was doing it because he wanted to evangelize, and this land came up for sale and a big stone building, and he had a, an idea that maybe we could turn this into some kind of a place where young people could come to serve and um, yeah, a, a V.S. unit. He, he, he had this, this vision and he took it to the mission board and it was either to AMA or to MIC, one or the other. And there was interest there, but they were, it was a pretty big venture And they were unsure, a bit unsure of it. And they said they would like for him to take his vision to the other mission board. And if they are in, if they're interested, they will, they'll collaborate on this venture. And so he did. And they were interested as well. And so they said, well, listen, do this. You take this idea and you go to the, beachy ministers meetings. They were held in Plain City, Ohio, and you present it there. And so he did. And as the story is told, uh, he got there late. Um, He flew in, got there late, um, got there just in time for his presentation. He got up in front of the people, his hair were disheveled, and um, he was a little bit frazzled in spirit, but he made his pitch and I think there were 70 or so ministers there and they unanimously agreed to support that work and the next year, the doors opened. Um, I say that story to kind of inspire us to, okay, where are we at today? Do we have the same kind of vision and do we have the same grit that they had back then? I actually think there's a fair amount of vision out there. Um, There's a lot of good things happening today as well. Um, but there was a, there were people back there that had uh, a, a zeal to to reach out and to be salt and light and I feel like we have been tremendously blessed by that. Um, it is hard for us to to know what we as a people would look like if they would not have done that, if that vision would not have been there. I, ha- I don't know what, what our constituency would look like if we would not have had the people that would have had the, the foresight and the vision to, to start that work. But I think we're greatly blessed by, by that. Um, you know, in, in Israel, there is the Dead Sea and the sea is dead. There's very little or almost no life in the Dead Sea, and that is because there is no outflow. The water just flows in, and um, the water evaporates. That's the only way the water can get out of the Dead Sea. And so over the years, uh, minerals have been deposited there, and the minerals don't don't evaporate, but the water does, and the sea has gotten very salty, and it's just, there is no life there because of that. And I think it is that way with us as individuals and churches, if there is no outflow, we become dead. Um, it is really good for us to have outflow. And I just wanna encourage you, I, I, I'm hearing there's, there's a possibility of an outreach. Um, that is a good way, I think, to be salt and light. Um, then there are all kinds of other ministries that we can get involved in. Um, there's, there is, there's a lot of good that happens to us personally when we have that mindset of reaching out. Um, another story about something that, that I'm seeing happening at Faith Mission Home, so uh, this Faith Mission Home is an organization where we care for and train people with mental disabilities. Uh, I think most many of you are familiar with Faith Mission Home. It's been there for a long time, and um, so our focus is on ministering to the students that are there, the people that have mental disabilities. But something very interesting is happening as people go there and serve. Um, I almost feel like equally important, and maybe even greater sometimes, is what happens to the people that come there to serve. Young people come there, and there was a girl that came there to serve and um, her parents dropped her off. She was from a a good family um, they were They were a privileged family they had um, They had some wealth, but um, they dropped her off there to serve and um, a short time later, her family passed through that area again, and I got to chatting with this young girl 's dad and he told me that they see a difference in their daughter. And I actually doubted what he was saying because it was such a short time. And, and uh, I thought he was just maybe saying the right thing or the, the, the making small talk, but I asked him what, what he's uh, referring to. And it turned out that he actually meant what he was saying. He said that we are seeing that she is shedding some selfishness. And he went on to talk about that. And he was actually, well, he said, you know, you can't, you can't serve somewhere and you all day long, you help people with their their everyday needs with eating and showering and helping them with their bathroom needs without shedding some selfishness and i had a light bulb moment i realized that that is that's what's happening when we serve we become better people and so that is, that is also a tremendous blessing that I see that is happening with our missions. It gives our people an opportunity to go and to serve, and, and in, in doing that, I think God is building us up. So uh, that's a tremendous blessing in, in our missions. Um, I do believe that... that um, we have the structure today to really plug in and, and to support. Um, I'm so thankful for that. In the last, I, I don't know, 20 years or so, the number of missions that have come out of our conservative Anabaptist groups has grown exponentially. I am amazed when we go to reach, um, there are many ministries represented there in fact they 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 don't have room for all of them. Um, there are other people that would like to have like to be represented there, but there's there's just not room for everybody um, Just a little bit about our experience and our call um, we had. We had been married for maybe 10 years or so, and um, we got a call one day from the recruiter from AMA, and, and uh, he asked if we would consider serving at a small village in El Salvador. And um, at first it was, uh, kind of took our breath away, but then as we considered it, we felt like we would be willing to go. Um, and, we kind of um, expected that we would be going there. But then when we took this to the church, um, to our surprise, the church declined. Um, We had been going through some challenging times there at the church, and um, the answer was no. And we were actually taken aback by that, um, disappointed by that time. and actually, it was a pretty tough thing for us to work through. We, we felt like, we thought that we had uh, sensed the call, but the church said no. And so we, uh, we worked through that and we accepted that as uh, God working through the church. And sometime later, we were asked to consider going to Kenya to serve there. And that uh, also seemed uh, pretty, it kind of took our breath away, but we considered it. And um, after getting counsel from our parents and uh, taking it to the church again, there was unanimous support for us to go to Kenya. And so we went. but there were a lot of, there was a fair amount of trepidation that went with that. Um, I was commissioned to be a pastor over there. I did not have pastoring experience. I thought I was a very young man. Looking back, um, yeah, I, I was, uh, I think, 37 at the time. Uh, but I felt inadequate. And um, But we were willing to go, and we were commissioned and sent off by the church, and it was on, I think, November the 28th, it was on Thanksgiving Day, that uh, we met in the morning with our families, and that afternoon we got on an airplane, and we headed up to, I think, Chicago, to the O'Hare Airport, and from there, no, I think it was actually Detroit, from there we had our transatlantic flight across Um, the ocean to Europe somewhere, and then from there to Nairobi. And um, what I did not know was that that morning there had been a terrorist attack in Kenya, in Mombasa. Um, There was a an ATV that was loaded with explosives that was driven through the front door of a resort and this thing exploded and killed i think 13 people and injured 80 others and at the same time they tried to shoot down an israeli airplane Uh, some of you probably remember that Um, but anyway that happened the morning that we were flying to kenya and i didn't know about it it had hit the news but we were busy with other things and um, so we went to the airport and flew, and we, we had no idea what was going on in Kenya. And so we went up, got on our transatlantic flight, and there was this um, very friendly, talkative, outgoing, little oriental lady that had taken an interest in our family. She was on our transatlantic flight, and she... Um, was fussing about our children. Bernice had dressed the girls in matching clothes and and, uh, you know, Mennonite family there all dressed up. You don't see much of that in airports and so she was very fascinated and took a a big interest in our children and and uh, during this was during the boarding process. We got onto the the airplane and sat there and Uh, we took off, and it turns out she sat across the aisle from us, just uh, one row back and across the aisle. And uh, after we were in the air, she started uh, asking questions. And she said, where are you going? And so I said, we're going to Kenya. And that little old lady nearly jumped out of her seat. She said, you're going to Kenya. She said, don't go to Kenya. Haven't you heard what is happening there? And I hadn't. I had not heard. And I I said, no, what's going on? And she said, the terrorists are there. Don't go to Kenya. She said, when you get over to Amsterdam, you you, you go back to America. You take your children back to America. And she was not suggesting it. She was telling us to go back. And our children started crying. They were listening to this. I kind of wanted to. Um, I felt fear, and I was already feeling a lot of um, trepidation. And I, I didn't know what to make out of it. I didn't know how bad it was. I didn't know the whole story. But I knew they, were, they tried to shoot down an airplane, and here we were in an airplane that was going to eventually end up in Kenya. And so I, um, I'm not sure how I responded. But she eventually calmed down and uh, settled back in her seat, and we flew along. We got our children, they calmed down eventually. And then there was a, an African-American man that was sitting directly across the aisle from me. And he waited until she was calmed down, it wasn't listening, he kind of leaned over and he said, just, just go. He said, they're done. You'll be fine. So we did. We went on to Kenya, and that was actually the reality of it. We were fine. Um, In fact, it would have been probably the biggest mistake I would have ever made to turn back and go back home again. The blessings were rich. Um, They were were amazing. Um, Yeah, God led us every step of the way. There were difficult times, but it was a a tremendous blessing for our family to go and serve in Kenya. I'm very thankful for that, um, for that opportunity. And this evening I'll be talking more about some of the specifics of that. Um, But I'd just like to leave this challenge with you. Have a mindset to serve. It doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be going overseas, but have that mindset to be salt and light, and God will be with you. Um, It's not – it's scary sometimes, um, and it takes us out of our comfort zone, but he has promised that He will be with us. I'd like to just uh, close with Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, um, where it talks about the, the constancy of God. Um, it says there, I'm just going to, well, I'll read the verse. It says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for He has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Interestingly interestingly enough, that phrase makes sense if you read it forward and backward. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Read backwards, says thee forsake, nor thee leave, never will I. God bless you.